We take up the reading of God's Word, Exodus 14, and we'll be reading through verse 18. Hear now the inspired Word of God. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Hirthroth, between Migdol and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness is closed in on them. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt, but the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and he overtook them, camped by the sea, beside Pi-Haroth, before Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, The Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in this wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us as to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall be and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why did you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his, all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Thus far, the word of the living God. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. O Lord, our God, we beseech you. We don't come with a cry of a tear or fear, but we come with a cry of, of need nonetheless, a need that you should speak to us from your scriptures, that even as you've appointed these ancient writings, this This historical record of old, as Paul says, was written for our instruction. We pray, Lord, that through the preaching of the word that you would instruct our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would use your servant, our pastor, as a vessel for your honor to open and explain the scriptures. We we depend fully upon the Holy Spirit, both with the, the preaching and our hearing of the word. Lord, would you bless us to see Christ. May Christ be proclaimed before us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
Children, I want to let you in on a just a little bit of a not a secret, but just tell you something about your pastor. Um, I don't know if you have favorite Bible stories, but I'll tell you two of my favorite. One of those is when uh, Elijah faces the priest of Baal on Mount Carmel. That is an incredible account. Maybe you can ask your dad to read it to you this afternoon. And the other one is the account of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You might remember them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I, I prefer to call them by their given names, their Hebrew names, not to the names that Nebuchadnezzar gave them. But nonetheless, these three men, they refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's massive gold idol. You remember how God gave to his prophet Elijah the authority to declare that there would be no rain in the land for three years. It's really quite remarkable. God says to him, it'll be at your word when rain comes again. And there was no rain in the land for three years. And Scripture goes on to tell us how God provided for Elijah during that time frame with some remarkable miracles. Others were blessed and cared for as well. Again, I commend that account to you. But God was punishing Israel for their Baal worship. They had other gods before them. They had abandoned God. They were worshiping Baal, and so God sent drought on them. Ahab was the king, and wicked King Jezebel was the queen. I'll tell you another secret. I love what happens to her. I just do. Maybe that's just something about me, but I just I love what happens to her. So things were really bad at that time. And, and God had sent Elijah to find King Ahab. The time's up. The three years are over. And he tells him to go find King Ahab. And he encourages him. He says, call all the prophets of Baal to come and meet me on Mount Carmel. We're going to have a contest. So hundreds of these priests of Baal come. And Elijah. Just Elijah. The prophet of God. And they gather and and Elijah lays it out. He summons all the people. Come and watch. Come and see what's going to happen. And so the the priests of Baal were to build an altar to Baal. And they were to put their wood on the stone. And they were to lay the the bull on the cut up and lay it on the wood. And, And then the challenge was, you cry out to Baal to send fire to consume your sacrifice that you're offering up to him. And it's it's a there's it's funny. It's it's Elijah, while the, the priest of Baal are dancing around, he, he kind of hackles them and harasses them. It's like, you know, maybe you need to cry a little louder, maybe he's he's relieving himself. Uh, maybe he's going on a vacation. And he all until till afternoon and these priests, they're, they're cutting themselves with swords because that was part of their religious practice. And you know what happened, children? Absolutely nothing. So now it's Elijah's turn. Really, it's God's turn. And so Elijah reconstructs the altar to Jehovah. Twelve stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel, stacks them up. Cuts the wood, lays it on the stones, cuts up the bullock, lays it on the altar. And then, remember, this is a time of drought, no rain. And three times Elijah sends them to fill these large vessels and haul what little bit of water was available in the land and pour it over the whole thing so that it is absolutely drenched with water. And Elijah, without, you know, shouting, He just calmly prays to the Lord, Lord God, show your people that you are God and send fire from heaven. One prayer, one time, and God sent fire from heaven. And children, you know what happened? It wasn't just the wood and the sacrifice on the altar, but the rocks and even the water and the trough around the altar. The fire licked up and consumed And the people fell on their faces and they cried out, The Lord is God. And for a brief moment, they made a commitment to serve God. And then we have the wonderful race that goes on. That's one of my most favorite accounts in Scripture. Why? Because you see the majesty 
and the beauty and the holiness of God. Well, the other one is when uh, the children of Israel are in captivity. Daniel's with them and they're sent into the uh, the land of, of Nebuchadnezzar. And in time, Nebuchadnezzar, he's had his dream that Daniel's interpreted. But he is full of himself. He's conquered so much of the world. And he builds this massive, he has built a massive gold image of a man, assuming himself. And he recalls from minstrels and musicians. And he gives this commandment that everyone, when they hear the musicians, they are to fall down and worship his idol. And if not, if they won't do it, he's got a furnace over here. I don't know if it's a hole in the ground or whatever, but he has had a furnace put right there at hand so that anyone that refuses to worship his idol will be cast into the furnace. And then there's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, faithful servants of the living God. And it's told to Nebuchadnezzar that they're not worshiping his idol. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar's angry. And he sends for them. They serve him. They're part of his cabinet and his, his instructors and his wise men. And he says, is it true that you refuse to worship my idol? And they said, live for king, for king ever, O king. But no, we're not going to worship your idol. And you know what he told? They told him, they said, Lord, we know, or Nebuchadnezzar, we know that the Lord our God will deliver us out of your hand. Their testimony was, you, you may throw us into that fire and we may be consumed and the Lord will deliver us out of your hand because they have the hope and eternal life that is found in, as they would have known, at the seed of the woman, the promise of the living God. Their hope is in God. And they said, and we know that the Lord's even able to deliver us out of the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's furious. And he orders his strongest military men to bind them and to cast them into the fire. But beforehand, he says, he just heat it up seven times hotter. I don't know how you take a hot furnace and get it seven times hotter, but that was his goal. And so they took and they threw Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah into the fire. And the strong men that carried them to throw them in the fire, their fire was so hot as they got near, they died just getting near it. And then Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire, and what does he see? He sees Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah with their bindings burn off, walking around, and lo, there's a fourth. And he says it appears to be the Son of God. They're walking in this fire that's so hot, and they're communing with the Son of God in a, a Christophany. He makes his appearance. He's there with his faithful servant. And so, what is his name? Nebuchadnezzar. He says, come on out. And the three of them come out. And children, you know what's incredible? There was not even the smell of smoke on their clothing. And Nebuchadnezzar issued an edict that no one in his land was to say anything ill against the God of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That they should worship him. That's the God of the Scriptures. That's this Lord who is with Israel. This is the Lord who when Moses came and says, the Lord says to you, Pharaoh, let my people go that they may go into the wilderness and worship. He says, who is the Lord? I don't know who this Lord is. Why should I serve Him? And we've seen just how that's gone. Oh, my friends, this Lord that we are hearing about this morning. This Lord fights for you. The same Lord that we've just been hearing about in these two incredible events of years ago. He has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He fights for you. And what is the Scripture tells us, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In fact, the reason that we lose our spiritual battles is not the Lord's fault. It's because of our own sinful flesh. We sin again and again, and, and we try to fight and win our own battles and our own strength. Whereas we need to be like the men we've just heard about. We need to look to the Lord. That's what Israel is about to learn about. We're going to use four main headings. 
hardened for my glory. It's not a new theme, is it? We've heard it again and again. And secondly, we'll consider, O ye of little faith. And then we will look at thirdly, the Lord will fight for you. And finally, know that I am the Lord. The words of God is a conclusion. We begin then with harden for my glory. The first thing that we want to notice is a fact that we have come to expect, but it is worth being reminded of over and over as we walk through this text. Remember a couple weeks ago, we were reminded that we needed to be reminded again and again and again. And so we're going to be reminded again and again. It's very important. It's true every moment of our lives. And what, what is this that I'm talking about? I would say, Pastor, what, Pastor, what is this so important that you want to even take this moment to talk about us? Can't we just get on with the text? Well, what's, what's the important thing? We see in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses. Where are they now? They're in the wilderness. They've been set free. They're no longer slaves in Egypt. But the Lord is still with them. Just because they've been set free from being slaves, they still need the Lord to go before them. My friends, that is true of us. Just because the Lord has redeemed us and set us free from the bondage of sin, He's given us new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need Him. We need the Lord arguably more than ever. We need to depend upon Him. And so the Lord spoke to him. The Lord had not forsaken them. He is... The Lord, all caps, remember? The covenant, faithful Lord. And so He's with Him. We know Him as the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is ever with us. So the Lord spoke to Moses and He tells him where to lead the people. Moses is now doing what He did for those 40 years on the back the backside of the wilderness of Midian, leading sheep. Now He's leading this mass of millions of people. Uh, he's a shepherd of people. And he's leading them in the wilderness area. This is, this is an area Moses knows. Over the decades that he served his father looking after his sheep, he knows these places. So when the Lord says, go to this place, Moses knows these places. And so he tells them to go, particularly to uh, Pi-Hirioth between Migdal and the sea opposite baal Zephon, And you shall camp before the sea. So Moses leads these people. But the people, remember this, they've never been there before. <coughs> sort of like when we go on camping trips, right, families? Sometimes we, we go to a new campground. We've never been there before. We've got a lot of things to figure out. You know, where are the hookups? Where's the bathrooms? Do the showers work? Are they cold? You know, do they actually have plumbing, or is it one of those stinky holes? You know, it's just, just all new to us. And that's that's the nature of what these the Israelites. I mean, this is all new to. They've never been here before. They they don't know the way around to go anywhere. So God leads them. But He has an ex, unexpected purpose for taking them to the sea. Now, some of you might be familiar with military strategy, and one of the things you want to do uh, as a military, as an army, is you always want to leave an escape route. You don't want to get yourself boxed in. And they're going right up to the sea. And there are many boats. It's a big barrier. And God has led them right up to the sea. But God knows what He's doing. He's got an unexpected purpose for it. Verse 2, we, we don't know where these places are that are listed. Uh, it's not important. They're, they're lost to antiquity. Um, you know, people speculate with maps of various generations, but we really don't know exactly where these spots are. But like I said, it doesn't matter. What's interesting, what we want to notice is Pharaoh has spies following the Hebrews. Any surprise there? Right? He's a king. So as they go out, spies are going. And, and they're bringing back messages to him. And God is busy in the midst of all of this. He's doing two things. One, he's bringing Israel 
to the one side of the sea, so they have no way to go but to go forward through the sea. Who ever heard of such a thing? It's where God works, isn't it? The unexpected, the impossible. God provides a way of deliverance. Have you not seen that child of God in your life? When you see like it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. It all is lost. There's no way out. And then the Lord provides a way out. Well, that's what he's fixing to teach Israel. They need to know this. So that's the one thing he's doing. It's part of God's plan. The second thing is God's plan includes humbling Pharaoh. Has he humbled Pharaoh? Arguably ten times, right? The last time. How great was the humbling? Even his son died in his bed in the middle of the night. But God is going to show Egypt and humble Pharaoh his might yet again. Look at verse 3. For Pharaoh says, The children of Israel, why, they are bewildered in the, by the land, and the wilderness has closed them in. Then, the Lord says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. As we've heard time and time again, God is at work to humble Pharaoh. Moses then records the exact words of God that God spoke to him concerning his plan, just as he's done before. But notice the Lord tells Moses, what does he tell him? Egypt's armies will pursue them. They're coming out after you. And then he tells them, and I'm going to gain honor over Egypt and Pharaoh. Why? He tells him his motives that they will know that I am the Lord. Remember, this is the great theme of the book of of Exodus, that the Lord is making himself known to Pharaoh, to Egypt, and to Israel. And, And Moses, absolutely in the midst of it, we began with him. That they may know that I am the Lord. I hope a little bell rung in your head when you when you heard me read that in the text. Because we have been told and shown over and over and over and over again in the book of Exodus that the Lord is making Himself known. I hope that you, as you've been under this preaching week by week, that you're learning things about the covenant faithful God. That He's making Himself known to you, for that's what He does through the preaching of the Word. So the Lord's heart and Pharaoh's heart. Meanwhile, back in Egypt, the people have come to realize. I have to laugh at this point. Egypt, Israelites are gone. They've taken all this wealth with them. And at some point, one morning, the Egyptians wake up and go, Oh, I'll have Miriam go. Oh, she's gone. Well, let's get Azariah and Jezreel to. Oh, oh they're gone. There was this moment, this this realization that their slaves were gone. All the workers that they've had, this host of millions who have worked for them for 400 years, they're gone. Who's going to do the work? Who's going to make the bricks and and, and X, Y, Z? Who's going to do all these things for? You know what the reality is? Their economy is in ruins. I mean, it already was because of all the plagues, right? But, but who's going to fix it up? Who's going to till the land? Who's going to do all those tens of thousands of things they realize it's gone? And that's, it's a powerful motivator. And it led to a lot of action. And, and we read about it in verse 6. It will be into verse 5. Why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And so then we see how the response goes. So he, that's Pharaoh, made ready his chariot and also and took his people with him. He also took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with the captains over every one of them. There's suddenly there's this scrambling, there's this movement. There's a powerful motivation. We don't have our workers. And so what we see is Pharaoh's got his own chariot. And in addition to his own private chariot, which you can imagine was the fanciest one of all, it's sort of like you see these uh, third world countries with a dictator, and you know what, you know his his nation's in abject poverty, and he's driving around in you know the best Mercedes Benz you can buy, 
right? And Pharaoh's got, he's got this chariot. It's just like, wow. And then he's got choice chariots to ride along with him and to, you know, have the people go, wow, here's our Pharaoh. And he's got other chariots. He, he pulls them all out. They empty the stalls of the horses. They hook up every chariot they got. And off they go pursuing Israel. Meanwhile, what's Israel doing? I love this. Look at it. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's why he's going out. He's not, not had enough of the blows of judgment from God yet. God has more for him. And so they're pursuing the children of Israel. Uh, they're miles and miles away. And what are the children of Israel doing? They went out with boldness. This is actually like a military term. It's they're marching along in formation, moving forward according to the Lord's commandment. Oblivious of what's gathering in the background. They don't know about it yet. So the Lord, he, He's filled Moses' sin on what's going on. So verse 9 reports then that the Egyptian army... Um, well, of course, chariots travel at speed, right? So you can imagine, children, you know, you're out in the middle of this wilderness and you got these chariots, they're getting along the horses. Who's they're getting? What's going to happen? It's going to raise a cloud of dust. And that would have been the first thing the children of Israel, whoever's in, in the back, who's at the back of the host, maybe looking over their shoulders like, uh-oh, uh-oh, there's a cloud. There's, there's something stirring up the dust. And then perhaps then they could hear things. And soon there's a realization that as they're moving forward, they're being pursued. The, the armies of Egypt are coming after them. And the Lord has just told them to camp at the sea. Well, before we go on, let's have some application. Christian, think with me about this question as we apply this text. Have you ever been making your way along through life and you have no idea where you're going? A lot of times we think we do, but we really don't know where we're going or how things are going to turn out. You know what we can know for certain? You know what we should never forget? The Lord goes with us. The Lord goes before us. He comes behind us. The Lord is always with His people, just like we see in this text. Things can go badly at work. Maybe the Lord is hardening your boss's heart. What do you do? Walk by faith. The Lord is with you. He's not forsaking you. Just because your boss or co-worker has a hard heart or a nasty attitude towards you does not mean that you are alone or forgotten. Remember that. His promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We walk by faith. And that's the very thing that Israel needs to do. And indeed, that's what they're about to do. It brings us to our second point. Oh, ye of little faith. So the chariots, they're, they're driven by madmen, as it were. Imagine Pharaoh's really given the command and you know, the chariot drivers, the whips are at the horses back and they're, they're moving this incredible dust clouds being raised. And it's certain that the Israelites knew that something was coming from the east long before they could be sure exactly what it was. Well, their worst fears are realized. You don't have to take my word for it. Look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, this is one of those wonderful words in the Hebrew, hina, which is like, lo, behold, oh no. And behold, what happened? The Egyptians marched after them. And so they were afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the covenant faithful Lord. Imagine their hearts were something like being in the vice of fear squeezing upon them. It was their worst nightmare come to life. That is the one thing that the Hebrews... What was the one thing that the Hebrews did in the midst of their terror? What was their first response? This, this is actually commendable. What did they do first? They cried out to the Lord. That's just just hear that and know that's an application. When fear is gripping you, when it seems like all is lost, cry out to the Lord. 
That's what they did. This, the, the way this is put, it's the same cry that came from them when they were in slavery. They called on the one who could save them, the one who had saved them. We find that there's a fear upon them. And what did they do? They said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you dealt, so dealt with us so as to bring us out of Egypt? And we're going to see, what have I said to you so many times? There's a whole lot of Egypt in the heart of Israel. There's a lot of worldliness in there. Well, Why would you bring us out here? Was there not enough graves there? Are you going to bring us out here so we can all be buried in the wilderness? These are the arguments that come out of their hearts in the wilderness. They're saying, it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt and be slaves to Pharaoh. What was it that they were crying about in the first place? There's slavery to a Pharaoh in Egypt, right? Lord, deliver us. Hear our cry. Come and rescue us. All right, before we're so quick to judge Israel, let's ask ourselves. When we were first converted, in the midst of the Lord working in our hearts, and we saw our sin, and we came to understand the wrath of God that abided over us, what our eternity was apart from Christ. We cried out to the Lord, right? Lord, save me. And then He did. But how many times have we rather longed to return to the ways of the world? How many times have we thought it would be better to walk in the ways of the world than to serve the Lord. Uh, be honest, it's easy to walk according to the flesh, isn't it? Right? You don't need to nod your heads because I, I, I know that you understand that because I do too. It's, it's easier just to walk according to the ways of the flesh. No one's going to oppose you. What did Jesus said? Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many find that it's easy to go with the flow and go along. Try walking the straight and narrow way, and you will be opposed. That's something of what's pictured here. They're coming after us. They're going to harass me. They're going to pick on me. They're going to tease me. They're going to call me names. But take heart, O oh Christian, whatever your whatever way the armies of Pharaoh are manifested in your life, there is one who goes with you. The Lord Jesus Christ. You're not alone. Remember Jesus Christ walked Calvary alone. He was there. He's gone ahead of you. He's gone before you. He's gone being mocked all along the way. And there He hung between heaven and earth on a Roman cross. He became the sin bearer. The world mocked Him. The forces of Satan were dancing in glee if you could have seen them. Satan, and I imagine in some senses, rubbing his hands with incitement and anticipation. I've got him exactly where I want him. I am destroying the Son of God. And then it will all be mine. Jesus told about that in the parable of the vineyard. In the vineyard older, when the owner sent his servants to collect his due that was rent that was due, and finally he sent his son. And what was the vineyard owner response? Are the vineyard renters? And it's like, oh, we killed the son, and then it's ours. It was about them. It's about Satan. He thinks that he's going to win. Jesus hung alone. Those around him mocked him. He's been spat on. He's been slapped and smitten. He's had his beard pulled out. He's had a crown of thorn thrusted upon his head. He knows what it is to have the forces of evil against him. Way greater than what the children of Israel are facing here. And yet, he looked to the Father by faith. In the midst of it, he knew he was doing the will of the Father. And in the midst of it, he cried out when all the forces of evil were raised against him. Even when the Father was pouring out His wrath upon Him and the sun was dark at midday, Jesus cried out, My God! My God! Why hast Thou forsaken Me? 
and it's for you. So that even although all the world be against you, Christ has gone before you. He secured your salvation. And you are more than conquerors in Him. He stands with you. You can be sure it was before the cross when Israel stood by I'm sorry, you know, here we are with this event. It's, it's before the cross. And Israel standing beside the water's edge. And yet, the Son of God was with them. A shield around about them. As we'll see in some later verses, the Lord, thirdly, will fight for them. Moses maturing and growing in the Lord. Do we see that here? We see how this man's faith has grown. Israel has laid the whole matter at his feet. What does is, what is Moses do? Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which you will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. Listen to this bold proclamation. Let's take it apart swiftly. First, his words of comfort. It's the first thing. Words of comfort. Do not be afraid. Isn't that when things are going wrong, things become uncertain, we have anxiety, we don't know how things are going to turn out. Our inclination is to be afraid. And as believers, what God's command is just don't be afraid. I am with you. Oh, how quickly we lose sight of that. I am with you. Do not be afraid. Remember, Israel has much to learn about the Lord. The Lord told their forefathers, Abraham and Isaac, He said the same thing to them at different points. Do not be afraid. Joshua, when he's leading the children of Israel into the land, the Lord tells him the same thing. Do not be afraid. You know what? That's the nature of our humanity. And the weakness of our humanity is to be afraid. But the Lord says to all of us, Do not be afraid. Those are words of comfort. Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? The Lord had given him comfort that he did not need to be afraid. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what do we see in them when they're threatened by that hot fire? By God's grace, they were not afraid. So it's not an empty thing. When God says, don't be afraid, it's like, (laughs) nice to hear. Those are, those are wonderful words. But indeed, God is able to make us not afraid. Look at Elijah. Look at Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Do not be afraid. God has given us so many biblical examples. Do not be afraid. The Lord is with us. Secondly, we see that Moses says, do nothing. Don't be afraid. And then this is your next activity. Do nothing. He says, stand still. Don't panic. Don't run away. Don't don't take up arms. Don't don't try to rush and take on the armies of Egypt. It won't go well. So do nothing. Thirdly, what did he give them to do? Look. Watch. He says, see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. So be comforted with this. Stand still. Look and watch. And see the salvation of the Lord. And then God makes a promise. He makes a promise. The fourth thing. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never, you will see again no more forever. That's that's like saying period. Or as the Brits would say, full stop. It's the end of it. God's going to destroy them. And then the Lord has a word for Israel. Verses 15 through 16. He says, and the Lord said to Moses, he's speaking to Moses because Moses represents the people. Why do you cry to me? Tell the children to move forward. Which, where, which way are they heading? Towards the sea. And what does God say? Don't cry to me. Move towards the sea. What? Where's the, the sea is their salvation. It, it seems so dis. It just seems wrong. It doesn't seem possible. But God said, no, move 
toward the sea. It's in the sea that your salvation shall become. There's something of a mild rebuke even when God says that to them. Have they not learned anything about the Lord thus far? Apparently not. Think of all His mighty acts in Egypt. When He has made Himself known to them through the plagues, the Lord proved Himself to them over and over again. So why are you crying? You know my might. You know my ability. Move forward. But aren't we often just as immature as Israel? As the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to understand He is at work in us by His Word and Spirit to grow us up into mature saints. Jesus does not save us. Listen to me. Jesus does not save us and then expect us just to remain babies. The church would be a mess if we were all a bunch of babies. We welcome baby Christians. The Lord gives them and trusts them to us to, to, to disciple and nurture and to care for and yeah, clean up their spiritual messes. But the Lord does not expect us to remain patient babies. And He's patient when we are but young in the Lord. But He is at work in us so as to mature. Let us understand this about the Lord Jesus Christ. His work on the cross was so complete and full that it includes not only our justification, but our sanctification. That is, we receive a whole Christ. The one who justifies and then the one who continues to work in us that we would grow in holiness. We're being sanctified. He's working in us that work that is begun so that we would complete, mature at His coming. And indeed, when He comes at whatever stage we're at, we will be fully glorified. Christ secured all of that at the cross. He didn't save us just to keep us out of hell. Justification. He saved us to grow us, to mature. Our blessed Savior secured all of this on the cross for all who believe on Him. This is His promise to us. James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Do you remember the first time you read that? And I was like, what? Wait, did I read that right? Go back and read it again. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Because knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect. That word there means mature and complete, lacking nothing. That's what Jesus saves us to. That's why Jesus sent Moses to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, that they would grow up, that they would mature, that they would become mature in the Lord. Remember how Paul rebuked the church in Corinth? We already covered this back in chapter 3. He says, And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual people, but as carnal, as babes in Christ. He's rebuking them. You're just babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. You are still carnal. Do you understand that we are to grow up in the Lord? And so is Israel. And so Moses commands the people to move forward towards the sea. Yep, the sea, because the Lord's ways are not our ways. He leads us in paths we cannot imagine. I'm sure there'd be a delightful conversation to have over a fellowship meal to think back as we shared our different stories of how the Lord brought us to the brink of the sea, so to speak, and then just astounded us with His solutions. So the Lord then commands Moses, verse 16, lift his rod. Lift up your rod, he says, and stretch your hand out over the sea and divide it. Moses knows by now that when he's to lift his rod, he's obeying. What happens next? God does it. It's, it's the power of the Lord. It's not in Moses. So stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Who has ever heard of such a thing? God's ways are not our ways. The way was forward. The sea would be their deliverance. Some application. 
for our final point. I'm reminded of the very first announcement of the gospel in the garden. Genesis 3.15, I hope it's so familiar to you. Just think about how this, it's like, you know, I'm going to divide the sea so that you're saved. The Lord's ways are different. He says, he shall bruise your heel. That, he shall bruise your head. That is the seed of the woman. And you shall bruise his heel. What? A bruising head, bruising heel. And yet it was at the cross that these things were fulfilled. Jesus died. No man could see or comprehend what God was doing at the cross. It's like, go to the sea, and it's through the sea I'm going to save you. Jesus, the Son of the living God, the righteous one, sinless, perfect, going to a cross to be crucified. The the kings and prophets of old spoke of these things, we're told, I believe, by Paul in the New Testament. And they they longed to look into them. They were writing of how these were going to happen, and they wondered, what is this talking about? Can you imagine, look at the disciples, what they do? They fled from Jesus thinking that all was lost when Jesus was crucified. It just didn't seem possible. How how could there be salvation in this? And then there He is laid away in a tomb. And, and then the women come on that first morning and say, He's risen. He's not there. And they're just, what? No, how? God's ways are beyond our ways. People of God, the Lord has solutions for you and I in our lives. Well, things that we can't even comprehend and yet He will bring them to path. As the Scriptures, his, his ways are infinitely higher than our ways. Jesus' death defeated the foe rather than Jesus being defeated. That's what it looked like. You can imagine Satan. There's Christ, breathes his last, gives up his ghost. Even Satan didn't understand what God was doing. Finally, fourthly, know that I am the Lord. Verse 17 through 8. And then the Lord spoke one more time and explained what was impossible. Look at verse 17. For I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. Remember, he says, I'm going to part the waters. The children of Israel are going to go through on dry ground. And I'm going to harden the Egyptians' hearts, and they shall follow them, so that I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. He's going to completely destroy the army, the military force of the superpower of that day in a moment. Just done. Finished. That's what God's going to do. Why? Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. There it is again. By God's great acts, He shows who He is. He is a covenant faithful God. He's able to all do all that He has promised to do. And so it is. He brings Himself glory. Scoffers will scoff. Even as Pharaoh did when he first met Moses. Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? You think he regretted that response? He suppose that echoed in his ears as the waters flowed over him in his fancy chariot. In the final moments, Pharaoh knew something of the Lord. He experienced it once and for all. Then after he died in the judgment, he stood before the judge of all. And he beheld the Lord high and lifted up and exalted as he passed judgment upon him. My friends, in conclusion, Satan made the same mistake. He thought that by crucifying the Son of God, he would gain the greater glory for himself. And then he could mock God, say, look what I've done to your Son. Yet for all his cunning, and Satan is cunning. Don't ever forget that. And yet for all his cunning, Satan did not know the Lord. He did not know the ways of the Lord. Satan, who lifted himself up and said, I shall be as God, found out that he he was merely a creature. And he knew so little 
about the Lord God Almighty. Though He once was in the host of heaven, one who was around the throne of God, He knew so little of the Almighty God and the greatness of His glorious plan of salvation. And even after the contest of the ages, Satan's head was then crushed by Satan, by our Savior's heel. Here's our main lesson. This is where we started. Child of God, the Lord will fight for you. Yes, in our ordinary mundane lives, but even if our lives become exciting and terrifying and upending ways, I don't know what the future holds, but there are certainly things that are happening in the face of the earth right now that suggest to me, and I think probably many of you, that what we know as normal is maybe soon going to go away. So I stress to you, the Lord will fight for you. The Lord is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. You need not fear the evil one. Whether it's the fires of Nebuchadnezzar's furnace, the Lord is with you. You know what? He won the greatest battle ever already. Satan's defeated. Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. Hell is defeated for those who are in Christ. Heaven is secure. It is sure and certain the promise of God that we shall behold the Lord arrayed in splendor and majesty. We shall see Him exalted on high and we will forever praise Him. And so, be comforted. Don't be afraid. Stand still. And see what the Lord will do for you. Amen. Amen. Father, we praise you for these marvelous lessons from ancient texts. Father, we thank you that we can learn such things from Exodus. Lord, we pray that you would help us not just to tuck them away as some interesting historical little story, but indeed learn these spiritual lessons and go and live by them, Lord. Help us to apply these things in our lives while they're mundane. And assert our lives become exciting and, and an upended. Lord, may we never forget the truths of Your Word. You fight for us. You've already fought the greatest battle of all and won. So we need not fear what man will do to us. We are secure in Christ Jesus now and forever. And we praise You for it, Father. We bless Your holy name. In Jesus' name, Amen.